Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. Welcome to our Texans Ravens postgame show. Joining me, as always, co-host and fellow H-Town sports junkie, Stephen Kerr. And Stephen, the Texans faced an elite football team. And what can you say? Same old Texans. (laughs) Yeah, same old generous gift-giving Texans. Robert, what month is this? this? This is September, right? I just don't understand a lot of the stuff that they do as usual. And let's just start from the beginning of the game. Let me open up with, you know, the first three times they've got the ball. Yeah. Deshaun Watson, and correct me if I'm wrong, if you remember it differently, but I do not think that he threw a ball over five yards in their first three possessions. There was no aggressiveness, no deep ball early, no no way to open up the offense. And I understand you got to max, probably have to max protect with the, you know, with the Ravens defense and the Texans still, I think, spotty offensive line. And we're going to get to that, but throw the ball deep, open it up, get, give yourself a shot, be aggressive. You're not going to be conservative and beat the Ravens. You're not going to, this isn't going to be a defensive battle. Well, that was the first thing I thought of Robert when I was, you know, when they were getting their first couple, three offensive possessions, that was the first thing that entered my mind. It's like, so when are you going to throw the ball downfield? I think on their second possession, he had a 13-yard pass uh, to the Ravens 45. I want to say it was Cooks. Uh, I, I didn't put that in my notes. But, yeah, other than that, those first few possessions, it was about as uh, conservative a Bill O'Brien uh, offensive coordinator. Oh, I'm sorry, a Tim Kelly offensive coordinator that you ever see. I'm, I'm having a problem noticing the difference, at least in those first few possessions, Robert. Totally agree with you. And it's the same old, same old. And and then, you know, you go through those first three possessions. It was three and out. There were two runs and then Deshaun settles for a dump off. Jordan Aikens, third down pass that was one yard short. Reminded me of Kubiak. Although, you know, like I said, I give Kubiak credit because, you know, I was so frustrated with the fact they're not throwing the ball down the field early in the game. But Kubiak would have one of those play actions early and usually throw it down the field like in the first possession or two. And make you start thinking about you typically it might have been the first play, which I I was one thing I really right. liked about him. You know, the second drive, they had one first down and then they punted. There was a, a pass that went longer than five yards, but it was really a five yard quick uh, slant pass that, you know, that bust open for a little bit more than that. And then the third drive. Let's get to this one, Stephen, because oh boy, this one was a big one. <laughs> it was uh you know, Texans go for it on fourth and one from their own thirty four yard line. They had incomplete passes on third down. And this is third and one and fourth right. and one. And and Deshaun barely has any time to throw either time. He tries to throw it to Darren Fells on fourth down. But part of this was Fells' problem. Uh, he, he goes in motion. He was looking right at the edge blitzer facing him. And that guy was coming unimpeded at Deshaun. Fells probably should have just chipped the guy to give Deshaun an extra second. But it, it's this is one of those where... What what are the Texans, Stephen? Are, are we going to be an aggressive team? Are we going to be like, we're going all out to beat you by running the ball, running the ball, running the ball? Or are we going to be, hey, we're, you know, th- that's that's your terms of aggressiveness? Or are we going to be the aggressive of, hey, we're going for it fourth and one in our own territory early in the ball game? Like, pick a side. Either you're aggressive and you're going all out and you're, you know, you're throwing the ball down the field and you're like taking every chance. Or you're not. And this is where I just don't – it's like the – remember what happened in the Chiefs game in the playoffs. Same thing. 
Well, it's one thing to be aggressive, Robert, but the, the play calling has to be good. And yeah, you know what? If that play had worked, we would have said it was a genius play. It would have, or it might have given the Texans the momentum that they desperately needed, but it didn't work. And it was just the the pass was not even close. Yeah, I know Watson was getting pressured. That's true. But you know what? In in both games, the Chiefs' offense goes for it deep in their territory. They make it. The Ravens go for it. Even in the fourth quarter, it was yeah, it was fourth and a foot. Jackson, of course, is is a running quarterback. He was able to sneak it across for a first down. But honestly, that that is the difference between the Texans' offense and the other elite offenses in the NFL, like the Chiefs and the Ravens, is that. They're not only afraid to take chances, but they just seem to know how to call the right play at the right time and get it done. And the Texans have no clue to how to do that. All right. So the fourth drive, you know, they're only behind 10 nothing at this point, which is pretty remarkable. Seven play, 75 yard drive. They throw the ball deep a couple of times once to Brandon Cooks for 36 yards. Lo and behold, you score points when you do that because then they have a 10 yard touchdown pass to Darren Fells. So that's fine. But then. This is where it all falls apart, Stephen. Uh, Kiki QT, still on the team. Remember remember he's still on the team? Did you forget that? Yes, he is. Uh, he is still on the team. He did make the cut out of training camp, yes. And he does Kiki QT type things because he gets stripped after making a catch and it gets returned for a 20-yard touchdown. And the headline you will see in the paper tomorrow after it says Kiki QT was cut was that, hey, Kiki QT, he was a... You know, fourth round draft choice, three and a half or two and a half years ago by Brian Gain, and then the rest of it will be, and he's gone. <laughs> and he's gone. Yeah, not very many. You know, we won't be talking on this podcast. Hey, Robert. Hey, Stephen. What was your favorite Kiki QT highlight? One that was positive. I think he had one good game, and then that was about it. But everything else, pretty much. Yeah, it's funny. The the first thing that flashed through my mind is that fumble. Is am I going to? get on cron.com or get on Twitter tomorrow morning or somewhere and find that he's been released. It would not surprise me at all. Right. And it was, well, two good games that first year he had the game in the regular season against the Colts and he was hurt off and on all year. Like he's been for his career. And then he has a pretty good game in the playoffs. If I remember, I think he might've even had double digit catches, although it didn't matter a whole lot. But, you know, at that point, I was like, well, if this guy can stay on the field and blah, blah, blah. But then last year was a disaster and he just didn't seem like somebody that they had any confidence in. And it's like you just kind of wondered, OB, you, this was your guy, Brian Gain, that made this draft pick. I mean, you guys were on the same page, blah, blah, blah. Well, how do you not see that this is somebody that, you know, might not be the toughest guy in the world? Doesn't I, I, there was there's rumors. I don't know if how true this is, but this sounds like it has something to do with it. There's rumors that maybe, you know, he didn't know the playbook all that well. He wasn't a smart guy right. that could pick stuff up. So, you know, it's, it, it's, that's a Bill O'Brien. It's on Bill. That's not a, that's not a Rick Smith thing. That's Bill. Yes, it absolutely is. And he's just another proof in the pudding that speed alone doesn't get you to be a top flight wide out or whatever position you're playing. I mean, you still got to have the hands to catch the ball, but you still have to have the smarts to run the routes. And obviously Kiki QT hasn't done that. And, you know, not to mention the durability and just the mistakes he's made when he's been in there the last two seasons. It just, it, it can't help the Texans confidence. And it certainly doesn't boost the fans confidence in him. Okay. The next drive, uh, Deshaun gets intercepted by Marcus Peters 
it's a underneath route that Peters or Peter sneaks in on a under, underneath uh, the receiver. It looks like Deshaun just doesn't see him. That's a mistake that you, you can't make in a game like this. Do you feel like that's the point where you just said, well, you know, same old Texans. Ravens got this one, you know, two turnovers in the first half that the Texans defense, which we will get to, does nothing. Well, unfortunately, Robert, and I think I even said it on this podcast last week, I, I had that mentality, same old Texans after the Chiefs game, that they, they just looked so unprepared. And, and I will say, you know, even at halftime when the score was 20 to 10, it felt to me that it should have been a much wider gap, a more lopsided game the way the Ravens were playing and the, the way the Texans offense was going, you almost thought it should have been 27 to 10 or 30 to 10 at the half. But, you know, the fact that it was only 20 to 10 to me was a bit astonishing. The Texans actually put together a nice end of the half drive uh, using the timeouts correctly and doing all of that sort of stuff. Right. Which uh, kudos to them for that seven play 63 yard drive. Fairbairn, who was, I guess, one of the bright spots offensively, hits all, all of his field goals in this game, 44-yard field goal to end the half. It's 20-10 to 10 at that point. Um, but then the second half starts up, you know, kind of what you would have expected on the defensive end because the Texans immediately give up 14 plays, 60 yards. They march down the field. They hold them to a 47-yard field goal for, for the Texans' defense. That's a win. Then the Texans go 14 plays, 58 yards, but Deshaun Watson, you know, you just paid him $40 million, Stephen. He cannot make a terrible pass like he made on third down that ended that drive and forced the Fairbairn field goal. That was a play that he just underthrew a guy badly. He was wide open, and if he hits him in stride crossing, you know, he, he might have a touchdown right there. Yeah, and this is where we have said this repeatedly about Deshaun Watson is just his, his passing accuracy has been a bit of a problem. That, and you know, and in certain situations, not getting the ball out fast enough. I I don't know. As I as the game went on, Robert, I just kept couldn't keep from thinking that the gap just continues to widen and widen between the elite quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes, like Lamar Jackson, and Deshaun Watson. And it's just things like this is, you know, we keep waiting for Deshaun. He, he has those occasional moments of magic, but it's just not enough to get the Texans over the hump. And, you know, when are we going to stop saying that Deshaun Watson is indeed an elite quarterback? He's not a terrible quarterback. His stats are okay, but can you really put him in the top three elite, especially after these first two games? Okay, let's get to the gorilla in the room right now. And you know, typically it's Bill O'Brien, but you guys know that story. Let, let's talk about the offensive line because that's also one of my criticisms about Deshaun. The offensive line was not good, and, and we're going to get into that. But Deshaun Watson, after watching him for these last few years, I don't think he has a good idea of – how to pick up a blitz. He doesn't know when it's coming. He doesn't know where it's coming. Steven, this is an issue for him. I saw it quite a bit today. And when you talk about, like you said, he's not Lamar Jackson and he's not Patrick Mahomes. Those are, that's one of those things that kind of separates those two guys from Deshaun Watson. He, he, he doesn't know where the defense is coming from and what they're doing. A lot of times he's good at escaping, but he can't do that well. Well, and Lamar Jackson was certainly picking up the Texans blitz. 
you know, Patrick Mahomes did the same thing. Yeah, you have to have the protection against the blitz, but you still have to know that these teams are going to be coming after you. And that's where I think Deshaun is lagging, you know, in, in that area as well is, you know, being able to pick up the fact that they're blitzing you or going to blitz you. You've, you've watched enough game tape, surely, to know that that's probably what they're going to do. So, yeah, I, I have to agree with you, Robert. It, it does make me wonder, you know, how much of the actual defense is Deshaun Watson able to read for these teams? The Texans also have this continuous issue of not being able to pick up one yard when they need it. And it seems like other teams always pick up the one yard when they need it. You know, we go back to that fourth and one. And before that, it was a third and one early in the game. But this has been an issue probably since Arian Foster was in the backfield, but definitely under Bill O'Brien. They cannot convert short yardage. And you have one of the most dynamic offensive quarterbacks in the NFL, supposedly. And you have whatever Bill O'Brien is as, as an offensive mind, which we, we don't think that that's any good. But still, somehow you got to figure out how to get a yard when you need it. And they, they can't do that. Well, it's just as I said a few minutes ago, that's what separates the Texans offense from offenses like the Chiefs and the Ravens is that they are able to get those short yardage situations. And, you know, the, the Texans running game, you know, all in all really hasn't shined in the, in the first two games of the season either. But, you know, especially on those short yardage situations, so many times during a game, that is going to make the difference between whether you score a touchdown whether you kick a field goal, whether you get into the other team's territory. So many things go into that, and the Texans just continue to fail and fail and fail on those short-yarded situations like you just mentioned. Is this a bad time to mention that I uh, looked into the scorebook midway through the fourth quarter, and I could not find Whitney Merciless anywhere? But, you know, by the way, I go over to uh, the Arizona uh, Cardinals, who are now 2-0. and DeAndre Hopkins' team is 2-0 and already. <laughs> and uh, when, when I go into DeAndre Hopkins' numbers in, this, in the game today, eight catches, 68 yards, one touchdown. Uh, David Johnson not doing a whole lot. Ross Blackwell, who I guess was – I think he was the second-round pick that they got right. for DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, did, did you hear his name called? I heard that he came off the field. That's the only time I heard any reference – to Blacklock was when he was he, he was coming off the field for a substitution. That that's it. Yeah, I, I think I screwed up his name. I said Black he's Blacklock, but yeah, I screwed up his name because you don't hear it ever, Stephen. <laughs> well, that, yeah, that that might help. Uh, if you repeat his name more often, making cha- uh, tackles and making plays, then yeah, we might get it right. Yeah, I I don't know, Robert. It's uh, you know after these first two games, I mean, I, I guess it shouldn't be that surprising, but. The, the Texans, I, I'm really their defense, in my mind, though, could have played worse. I mean, they certainly weren't stellar, but they bent, but they, they didn't always break. You know, they gave one short touchdown, then the one defensive touchdown, and then, of course, the touchdown that you mentioned where the Ravens did march down the field. But I, I have to say that the, the Texans did make some good plays, but the offense is just what really vexes me. And getting to DeAndre Hopkins, yeah, I'm amazed that we, we went this long into the podcast before you mentioned his name and why he isn't still with the Texans and what happened there. He certainly got his big contract. And at the moment, he's living up to it. But one thing I will say, though, too, that I think makes offenses like the Ravens successful 
is that Lamar Jackson is able to go to so many different weapons. What do he throw to? Like seven or eight different people in this game. And, you know, the Texans try to do that, but they don't even come in even close to that. David Johnson, 11 carries, 34 yards. But this is an offensive line problem. And that's why running backs don't matter. If you've got a good offensive line and you've got a good play caller and you've got a good quarterback, um, which, you know, Deshaun Watson, I think he's good. I just don't think he's that extra level that you need. He's not uh, Lamar Jackson in that in that regard. Oh, certainly. Yeah, or Mahomes. Yeah, you said it before. But, you know, that's why running backs, so David Johnson is just who cares and that you're paying this guy – you know, the same amount of money that you would have paid DeAndre Hopkins if you had held on to him and not given him another contract, which, you know, you can debate whether he would have sat out or he couldn't have sat out because the way the rules are set. I mean, we've gone over this, but he couldn't have sat out. It would have been very punitive. The Cardinals, you know, doing what they, they can do to make him happy for long term because, you know, they're, they're a team that can afford to pay him that kind of money because they're not paying it to their quarterback and the Texans are going to be paying it to their quarterback beginning, you know, very, very soon. So, you know, that's fine. And the Texans obviously with all the bad money, you know, Whitney merciless, I mean, geez, I mean, let, let, I'm looking at the final stats and yeah, well, Nick Martin, yeah, we can go through all the names, but the Mer merciless is the worst of all. Cause it's $54 million. They paid him in the off season. It's, you know, 28.5 or something like that guaranteed. It's ridiculous for four years. And you go through the box score in this game and I'm looking for him. I mean, I'm looking for him and I'm looking for him. And Steven, he ain't there. Yeah. All the bad money that you've given. How do you not give good money to one of your top three players in the organization? That being DeAndre Hopkins. It is a head scratcher. And getting back to the offensive line, you, I'm sure you noticed how they were shuttling Max Sharping and Senio Calamente in at left guard, you know, to try to find some kind of combination. Got a little scary when Titus Howard was helped off the field again, but he did come back and had that false start. But yeah, the offensive line, you know, we kept waiting for it to really gain some ground this year. And at least as far as the, the run blocking is concerned, it, it certainly hasn't happened. Or the pass blocking or anything. I mean, Laramie Tunsil, didn't all look all that great either. And let's just go through this Brian Gain draft from a year and a half ago, his last draft. Titus Howard, you know, didn't he's just not looked good the first two weeks. An ankle injury's been an issue. I get it, but that's worrisome because he's had a lot of injury problems already. You got Max Sharping, the other big piece of that offensive line who you just mentioned was replaced at left guard by Calamete a couple of times in the second quarter. He looked terrible when Sharping was playing. I mean, t Sharping looked terrible out there. And, it, and now he's already being shuttled in and out. This was a second-round draft choice. You got Lonnie Johnson, who appears to be nothing special. Didn't hear his name much. Maybe maybe that was a good thing. Maybe he was doing a good job in coverage. But they, I think they moved him more into the safety position this year. Um, uh, Kahele Waring, I'm going to get to him in a second, but he's not playing at all. We're going to talk about him. Amenahu may be the one bright spot, a sack for him, a tackle for loss in this one. Xavier Howard was released last year, last year. And of course, uh, Colin Gillespie, who special teams guy, who I think you could have just signed in free agency, frankly, uh, if you wanted somebody like that. But go, going back to Kahele Waring, if people missed it, he went back on the injured list last week after spending his whole first season there. 
Stephen, this looks like the modern-day Betty Jopru. Remember him? <laughs> oh, Benny Jopru. Wow, there's a blast from the past, um, unfortunately, because he didn't pan out either. You know, and you got rid of Jordan Thomas, which honestly raised my eyebrows, Robert, because, you know, at that point, I said, so are you are you really that confident in Kahali Waring that he's going to not only be healthy, but make a real contribution this year? So that definitely raised a flag for me on that. Uh, and you mentioned Gillespie. Well, he's being evaluated for a concussion after the, the uh, well, actually during the Ravens game. So. Yeah, all of those players you mentioned, you know, just bust, bust, gone, gone. The defense, I mean, I haven't mentioned it a ton, but Justin Reed with a nice open field tackle and A.J. Moore with a stop on a scramble, Lamar Jackson scramble on the three and out to start the game. That was pretty much the bright spot. 12 plays, 73-yard drive. Uh, field goal, four play, 34-yard drive. Uh, touchdown, that was, of course, after the uh, – I think that was after the four, yeah after the fourth down, seven plays, fifty-eight yards, and a and a Tucker field goal. I mean, they forced some Tucker field goals, which give them credit for that. They forced a punt near midfield to end the half, and the Texans come back and get that field goal to make it look like a ball game for a split second. Then there was the fourteen-play, sixty-yard drive in the third quarter for a, a field goal, six-play, seventy-five-yard drive with that direct snap to Mark Ingram for the fourth and one touch, I mean, untouched on a. Oh, it one. wasn't even close. Yeah, it wasn't even close. And, you know, the, the sad thing, Robert, is the Chiefs and the Ravens both were doing to the Texans what the Texans offense should have been doing to them and keeping those great quarterbacks off the field. And that is just eating up huge chunks of clock with four, five, seven-minute drives up and down the field. And, you know, as we mentioned, the defense bent on – Several of those didn't break, but nonetheless kept the Texans offense off the field and just gave Lamar Jackson all the momentum he certainly needed to do what he does best. I don't know what changes except your opponents might get a hair easier and, and we can get into the schedule in a little bit. But what else changes? I mean, what 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 do you expect to get better from this team? Because I, I, I don't know if. We're just on a repeating path. I mean, we are. I mean, we've seen it for years. I mean, I just, that's why it's so frustrating. I just, I get tired of it. It's the same old, same old. Well, we say that there's a new offensive coordinator, but Robert, I haven't seen anything new of the Texans offense yet in regard to the the play call selection. It, it seems to me to be about as predictable and as ineffective as it ever has been. And you have minus DeAndre Hopkins on top of that, you know, and Duke Johnson, you know, he didn't play. He was injured still. So he wasn't even in the game. I, I realize that's that's another weapon removed. So, yeah, I don't know what changes. You hope that things just doesn't don't get worse. But you you say a hair easier. Well, maybe just a slight half of a hair because the Pittsburgh Steelers are next, and they're certainly one of the top teams in the AFC. So the Texans have got to figure it out pretty soon, or they're going to be in another O three hole. Not that they haven't come back from that before. But you just, you know, how many years can they continue to just continue to play behind the eight ball and then try to make even a respectable season out of it, much less get in the playoffs and do something? One positive from the offense, Jordan Aiken, seven catches, 55 yards. He's looked good this year. He led the team in catches. Defensive positive, I mean, is not old school J.J. Watt, but still effective. He had two sacks in the first half. 
He had the knockdown of the pass in the second half. He gives you something. And it's funny because he's just about all you got on the defensive line. And you got to figure out what you're going to do with him next year because you've spent all this money on Whitney Merciless and Randall Cobb and, you know, Zach Martin and all these guys. And who cares? Like, I can find those guys in the third round of the draft. Yeah, J.J. Watt did. Uh, you know, of course, he didn't face Lamar Jackson last year because he was still injured. So he had a good game. And he, another guy that at least is making a few plays and kind of turning some heads is P.J. Hall, who the Texans just picked up fairly recently before the first game of the season. So he at least was somewhat of a bright spot. Charles O'Minihue had a nice sack. So, you know, there are bright spots, but they're few and far between both on defense and offense. you got to have a lot more of those and consistently if the Texans are, are going to win a game. Yeah, we talked about it last week. They're just like manhandled by other teams' offensive line. Again, this week, it just looked like the Texans were getting pushed back a lot of times by a yard or two on the line of scrimmage as soon as the ball was snapped. And like I said, fourth and one, you know that Lamar Jackson's probably going to do something when he gets the ball. It, it's probably going to be a QB sneak when you have Lamar Jackson. And it was just such an easy yard that he got to ice the game late is just such an easy yard. Well, and you know, the other thing too, Robert, I was thinking during the game is of course it, it was a Texans home game, but no fans in the stands. And the first thing that popped into my mind is, well, the stadium would probably be silent anyway with the Texans losing like this. But then my second thought kind of counteracted that thinking, no, it might be quite a bit noisier with the fans booing the Texans, especially at halftime when they came off the field or at other points during the game. Because they look so lackluster. You so. suck too. You suck too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You could easily have heard O'Brien go off on a fan as as silent as if if they're piping in crowd noise, Robert, I didn't hear anything. They're, they're supposed to be controlling the decibel level. Well, to me, the decibel level as far as fan noise was about zero because I could hear the players almost as clear as the day out there. Well, I think fans probably would have been nodding off at home. So that's about right. <laughs> if they weren't booing, but I mean, come on, if you're going to have fake crowd noise, at least, you know, turn it up a notch or make it at least sound halfway decent. But it it was, you could have heard a pin drop in that stadium. In games around the NFL that matter for the Texans, the Vikings got beat up by a Colts team that looked bad against the Jags last week. This matters because the Texans face the Vikes in two weeks and they're now 0-2. So it could be a break in the schedule. We weren't expecting the Texans play the Packers in week seven. Green Bay looks frisky. They're 2-0 after beating up on the Lions, 42-21. Aaron Rodgers' offense has scored 85 points in the first two weeks. The Jags barely lost to the Titans, which means they might be a little bit tougher than we thought after trading some of their most talented players. Just keep that in mind. And next week, the Texans get the Steelers, who are 2-0 after beating the Broncos, but they beat up a Broncos team who mostly played without Drew Locke, who got hurt early in the, in the game. So... Uh, I don't, I'm not scared by the Steelers. I'm not scared by the Vikings. These are winnable games the next couple of weeks. Well, they are winnable, Robert, if the Texans just come to play. But if they don't come to play, especially the way they have looked in the first couple of weeks, that, you know, even a weaker team is going to beat them. You know, look, with, you know, with the, the Panthers last year and just other teams that the Texans really should have beaten that they either didn't or they had to scrape and scratch and claw to win. And you're talking about going around the league. My goodness, there were a lot of injuries, a lot of major injuries, you know, torn ACLs and high ankle sprains. And 
all kinds of crazy things in uh, the second week of the NFL. Kind of what we expected, though, with no preseason and right. you know, just not, not as much time for some of these guys to get it rubbed up. And it could be coincidence. I mean, we used to never know. I mean, we always want to say that, but it just could be, be coincidence. Um, also want to say before we take off that today, Sunday, is the 47th anniversary of one of the craziest events in Houston history. Most of you listening, I'm sure, have no recollection of the Battle of the Sexes, but maybe oh, you've, boy. you've heard accounts or seen stories. It was uh, one match only, uh, one match only tennis battle between Billie Jean King, who was in her prime or sort of post-prime a little bit as a, her, as a tennis player, and then Bobby Riggs, a former number one male tennis player in his late 40s by this point, who by 1973 was, or, or I'm sorry, who... Uh, uh, you know, was about 55 years old at this point. I was going to say, I think he was in his 50s when that match occurred. He was getting up there anyway. Yeah, he was just kind of this huckster trying to make a buck in what was like a carnival, like made-for-TV event. And in our Throwback Thursday this past week, you can listen back, if you haven't already, to a conversation I had with Dale Robertson, the recently retired Chronicle sports reporter and columnist who covered the event as a kid reporter for the old Houston Post. Any recollections of this, Stephen? Do you remember this at all as a kid? I do remember it. I was, uh, I want to say I was in sixth grade when that happened. And I just, I remember it because there were, well, you know, Bobby Riggs was a loudmouth. Some of the things that he said back then would never be tolerated today. I think I, I remember my grandmother using an expression that was used quite often uh, to males who looked down at women and talked down women. She called him a male chauvinist pig because that's exactly what he was. He, he was a talker. He bragged that no woman was ever going to beat him in a tennis match, certainly not Billie Jean King. And I remember my my mom had this uh, male friend who predicted that Bobby Riggs was going to win and that if he did, he was going to jump up in the air and click his heels together like 10 or 15 times. And that was the only reason I was kind of disappointed that Bobby didn't win because I wanted to see that happen. <laughs> I wanted to see if he was going to actually do it. But in all honesty, I, I, it was a great day for women in any situation, in any field, because Billie Jean King proved, not only proved Bobby Riggs wrong, but shut his mouth and shut the mouths of a lot of people that women are to be valued. So yes, I, I do have uh, very strong recollections of that day. Gosh, it's hard to believe it was 47 years ago though. Yeah, and I was gonna say, it wasn't that Bobby Riggs was in his late 40s. He was a number one tennis player in his late forties. That's where I was getting all there, fouled that's up. That's true. He, he was indeed. He, he was a great tennis player at one point. And he certainly was maybe not that far over the hill, but he was definitely past his prime, but still, uh, it, it's still a, a great win for Billie Jean King and the courage that she had displayed and the class, which Bobby Riggs had no sign of at all uh, in that match. Yeah. 25 years past his prime, really. Cause that's when he was, Number one, it was back, like I said, late late 1940s, so a little bit post-World War II. Uh, but uh, go check that out, Our my conversation with Dale Robertson. We, we get into some, you know, best of, best tennis players, male and female, and a little bit of other tennis conversation in there as well. It's a interview's three years old, but none of it's dated. It's all very listenable again, and if you've never heard it, uh, it's definitely worth something to check out. Uh, also, in less than 24 hours, we are going to throw up a podcast on the Astros and Verlander's devastating injury, among other things. We're going to 
get into all that. We'll hit on a couple of Rockets topics too. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, before we close things out, just want to remind everybody, uh, share the podcast, let your friends know. And also, I know a lot of people are in the Houston area, of course, if you're listening to us. So be safe with the storm coming. Uh, hopefully everybody's going to be fine. It's going to be a light misty rain instead of a flood rain. That, it- <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. But even a light misty rain can can sometimes put Houston underwater. I should know. I used to live here. Yeah, it's people sneeze and there's like three feet of water in Houston. It seems like these days. <laughs> exactly. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody. Once again, uh, Texans dropped to 0-2. Uh, it's two great quarterbacks, but, you know, they dropped 0-2. They lose to the Ravens, 33-16, the final. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.